Luke's Gospel. Uh, I remember um, that I've read Luke a number of times, really enjoy it. Uh, it's one of those great ones written by Luke to help us understand the reason that we have our faith. To be accurate, a good account, says Luke at the start of the Gospel, and goes on in Acts, obviously, to tell what happens Next, it's got the, the bulk of the, the stories about Jesus' nativity, of his birth, of how that came to, be, to come about, and the fulfillment of so much of the, of the Old Testament. It's got those really famous parables and stories, the lost sheep, the 99 that were left for the sake of the one, the, the lost coin, and indeed uh, the lost son, and the, the often called the prodigal son, but of the amazing goodness of God in, in Luke Fifteen, And also that famous parable, the Good Samaritan, specific to Luke. I'd read through lots of times, enjoy it. I remember once I was reading through the Gospel of Luke, and have you ever had that moment where you read something and think, have I read this before? Have I really actually read this before? Um, and as such, uh, I came to Luke 16 and a parable that Jesus told And I was very much struck by saying, have I really read this before? I really don't get this. just seems to be odd. So with that sort of introduction, let's read it and see if I was the only one who found found this a little bit perplexing. So Luke 16, verses 1 to 15. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be my manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 450. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it's gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can be trusted with uh, with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. Jesus, thank you for this parable. Thank you for Luke for keeping it, treasuring it, and making it available to us. 
And I pray, Jesus, you'd help me and us as students of your word, as your followers, to, to hear it afresh, to embrace its truths and implement them. Amen. Did you understand it? Did you find it a little bit strange? Uh, I couldn't make head or tail of it for for, um, some time, and I still find it uh, enigmatic. Commentators have described it as the most difficult parable. I mean, there's probably a bit of debate about that one, but let's just put it out there for the moment. I guess questions we could ask is, is the manager falsely accused? Is the manager either incompetent or dishonest or both? Did he deserve to get the chop? Uh, Why was he commended for cutting the debts in half? I mean, it's all right for the debtors suddenly to be relieved of so much, but what about the man who owned this stuff, was owed this in the first place? And indeed, why does the master praise him and say you acted shrewdly and well? I mean, if this happened today, I don't read the financial times all the time, but if the, the manager of the rich man's business enterprise and kind of went around and slashed what was owed, it certainly would have made the headlines of the papers. So just a a few bits of thought to begin with. There are a few kind of knotty uh, questions. The first one that kind of we just need to address and find out about is, is where does it end? Where does the parable end? Uh, quite often in, in the other parables, you get, it's clear when Jesus is telling the story, the story with meaning, the story with, with intent, the story with a sting in its tail or a, a kick up the, uh, the backside, as some commentators describe the purposes of a parable. We know where it starts. Jesus said, told his disciples there was a rich man and so forth. But whereabouts do you think the parable ends? The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly, for the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than other people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves. Where does the parable voice finish and Jesus, the teller, the storyteller, begin? Well, there's, there's a lot of, uh, of questioning, there's a lot of, uh, of wondering, but, but I think it actually... This is where we encourage you to have Bibles because you're probably kind of not being able to reference it now. I don't know if it's on the screen, not anymore. But I kind of think that the parable probably ends in what would be called 8a. That's kind of the first bit of verse 8. And uh, then Jesus' voice reasserts itself in verse 8b. The verse goes, The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. End of parable. I think it's here that Jesus starts to bring the commentary, starts to bring the application, starts to help make sense of this story. So we're we're just thinking about this parable, Luke 16, of the manager and the master, the one commended for being shrewd, And we're trying to ask, what's it about? And how are we to understand it? And what are we to make 
of the story of Jesus where the, the master praises the dishonest manager who cheated him out of so much. What's that about? Well, as I said, it's a, it's a difficult parable and uh, lots of people have, have thought about it in different ways. Uh, some people see it as, as a little bit of a joke, uh, as Jesus being humorous and it's to be interpreted as a, as a story with humor. I kind of think that misses the mark. Some others have suggested that the way to understand this story is to, to kind of understand something of the culture of the time. Well, of course, we, we often have to understand something of culture and context in order to make sense. So w- one way that people have, have got a hold of this is, is saying um, that, that the manager is about to lose his job, and he's suddenly aware, if I lose my job and my status, it's going to have a massive impact on my life. He says, I'm going to end up either having to dig holes in the street, and he isn't strong enough, nor is he wanting to become a beggar. So in other words, he thinks and works out a survival strategy, and this is what he thought to do. He recognized, because he owned the book, he had the book of what has been lent and what is owed, He thought, well, if people owe money to the master, then I can uh, can reduce that. Why? How does he manage to reduce it so much? Well, there's an assumption that goes on that says um, he was a dishonest manager. So there was an amount lent, and then he would have charged commission on top of it. So the total bill was part what was owed in the original gift, loan, uh, loan, And then there was also a a slice of commission that the manager had put on top. As such, when this moment of uh, of focus or uh, of of about to be fired, he thinks, I know what I can do. If I go and I meet them and say, let's cut this in half, he's actually cutting out his top slice, his commission, the amount that he's added for his own pocket. And as such, by doing that, he kind of thinks, well, if, if I'm able to reduce the debts by the size of his commission, he's sure to win favor and friends with the people who owe money to the master, but actually that the manager has been uh, commissioned to work with. And as such, those friends, those people who are being let off, apparently such a, a large amount, 50%, will admire his honesty and generosity and maybe even choose to hire him afterwards because he's done such a good favor for them. When his boss, the, the master, sees what's happened, his boss can only praise him for the brilliant strategy. He's still going to get what's owed to him, but he's uh, kind of been, see, the, the manager's proved to be clever. I'm not convinced about that personally. Uh, Why? Because it seems to draw so much upon assumptions that actually aren't in the text. It relies so heavily on uh, unspoken cultural practices that we're not really very uh, sure about and doesn't actually account for for the thing of why the haste sit down quickly and write. So we're still left with the knotty issue, what does this parable mean? Why is the shrewd or dishonest manager, praised. Well, let me give you a few handles on on how perhaps we can get through this. 
When Jesus begins the parable in uh, verse 1, there was a rich man, the master. Whenever we hear Jesus tell stories about rich people, what's your response? Would you, if you were in a pantomime land, go hooray, or would you go boo hiss? Particularly in Luke. But so often, um, we're predisposed to think of rich man in the story as someone who is in the negative position, negative like a cast in a bad light. You think of the rich fool in Luke 12, or even just coming up in uh, chapter 16, verse 18 and following the, following, the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man is often portrayed in a negative light. Well, we're told that the rich man is informed by somebody that the manager is mismanaging and the rich man promptly fires the manager. The rich man is intent upon making this servant destitute. Yet when we reach, meet the rich man later, the master, he realizes that he has reduced, uh, that the manager has reduced the debt owed to him and he defies our expectations. The rich man, rather than using harsh words or, or, or criticizing his behavior or chastising him, uh, actually commends him and says that was a clever plan. The twist in the tale, perhaps, for the rich man is that he's not as we assume. As with God's kingdom, so too in this world, grace can be found in the most surprising places. If you were the rich person, what would your response have been if you had your money cut by half by someone acting on your behalf? Food for thought. But actually, the main character in the story is the manager, not the boss. But ultimately, of how uh, the manager responds. So what exactly does he do and why are his actions praiseworthy? Well, as, as I've indicated, it, it's possible that the manager ha- was charging commission and cutting it from the bill at the end. Um, and I've indicated that reads into the text too much and doesn't account uh, really for what the uh, manager does. So what does he do? As I've been reading on this and reflecting on it, it's still a little bit enigmatic, but I kind of think that the manager, this shrewd manager, this dishonest manager, actually creates a situation in which both he and his boss, the master, gain honor and admiration in the community. What do I mean? Well, this is his plan. He would go to the rich man's debtors, cancel up to half of their obligation, uh, as we're told about a man, the equivalence is of 3,000 liters of oil. Now you own 1,500. And the manager, in doing this, says to himself, these debtors will be so grateful to me that they will take me into their homes and give me room and board. I will make friends through this. In doing so, he also knows that this display of kindness and generosity from the rich man and from the one charged with the management of an extensive portfolio, will be so well received by those on the receiving end. In other words, those in debt will overflow with thankfulness and gratitude, wouldn't you? You owe a stack of uh, 3,000 litres of oil, and it's cut in half. Written, so be it. You'd be kind of like, oh, that's great, thank you for the kindness 
by one of the leading citizens, the rich man in the town, in the area, has shown great benevolence. The shrewd, but dishonest manager secures his future. Not only has he created a new indebtedness to the one who was, owe, who was owing money in the first place, I'm so thankful for your kindness in relieving me. The manager has found friends for himself and has also perhaps opened up the door for some time, some future to come, if he is expelled from the employment. So what's the rich man to do? Because the shrewd managers kind of come up with a win-win. When the rich man hears, he's left in a quandary. The shrewd manager has a win-win. The, um, the, the rich ruler is in a bit of a lose-lose. What do I mean? Well, he's lost half of what he's owed. Here's the shrewd manager who's just relieved a lot of debt. And everyone's going, oh, you're so kind. Thank, we're so grateful for you. You've done such a good thing. What's the master to do? Is he to actually go and say to all the people who've just become really thankful and thinking this rich man is so kind and generous and say, well, actually, no, you owe me it all back again. You know, when you've been on a high, the low can be even worse. The plan could have failed spectacularly if the, uh, if the rich ruler exposes the dishonesty But in doing so, that would reflect badly upon him. He'd have to reinstate the full loan. And the PR coup that the the manager has just won and all the goodwill that has come about because of it would be lost. Rather than being praised, he'd be resented and despised. Lose, lose. Both the manager and the rich man know it. So the master praises the manager for his brilliant plan. He's a crook, but a clever one. Clever rascal. The manager is facing a severe crisis. The loss of his life and impoverishment, even for his family, and as such concocts this shrewd scheme and acts decisively to survive. So is the manager a model of faithful stewardship? What are we to take from the lesson? Do we just read, okay, we act dishonestly and it'll go well for us? No. Of course not. Jesus' words following and the description, the explanation that he brings clearly demonstrate the distinction between honest and dishonest, faithful and faithless use of money. So how does the parable work? Well, a bit like others that are in Luke, I think it's a parable that we're to read not as this is this, therefore we do that. But rather, it's a parable that is a greater or lesser argument, like the unjust judge. You know, the widow who comes and knocks and knocks and is persistent and persistent. And the the judge who is evil actually gives her justice in the end. It's a greater or lesser argument. In other words, if this is how you do it, how much greater will God? If this is how someone acts with facing a looming crisis in the mixed up brokenness of world and comes out with a plan that will actually help, how much more and how greater should we as disciples act in the light of the greater goodness 
of God. Let me read verse 8. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than the people of light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it's gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. When we read this, this isn't just about our survival, although we're being made redundant, but actually Jesus is pointing at salvation. Luke, particularly in the Gospels, focuses on how we respond and how we use money, whether it controls us or whether we use it to serve the kingdom. Money in the hands of the dishonest manager was what he used to buy friends. The implication is that money is in in itself, nothing in itself. Love of money is the problem. Money in itself is is simply the medium of of exchange by which a a person uh, is able to receive something or gain something that he or she wants. It's an exchangeable commodity. So what do I think this parable is driving at? And, And I'm giving you liberty to come up with your own interpretation too. That's what parables are like. But I think Jesus is saying that that take your money, that which you have, people of God, people of the kingdom. Don't be like the dishonest one who uses it creatively for his own benefit. But rather, take your money and translate it into things of true value. Things that will actually last, things which will bless, and things which will take on eternal significance. In other words, if this man can use money to gain himself friends in a difficult time, People of God, use what you have and let it be harnessed into acts of love and deeds of mercy and to build the things of the kingdom. See, in this parable, the manager solves his money problem not by dealing directly with the master, but through relationship with the debtors. Every time we give uh, or serve uh, in some kingdom initiative or help a, a person in need or extend cups of water or a cloak or food for the hungry or practical interventions, we are using what we have, exchanging money for something that has eternal value. Matthew, uh, later on in, in the gospel, says, you know, when we, when we visit someone in prison or provide a cup of water or feed someone who's hungry, we don't just do it for that person, but also for the Lord. Now, you just need to hear me say this and underline it. We're not buying our way into heaven. It's not here I'm saying, you know, the, the bigger the gift, the greater the seat at the table in the banquet of God church has got stuck in that in the past. It's not true. Salvation is through faith alone. But there's a kingdom principle too here. As Jesus speaks in Luke chapter 6, give and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together, running over will be poured into your lap. For the measure you use, it will be measured to you. God honors those who are generous, for he's a generous God. The implication out of this parable, I think, is that that in response to God's goodness and grace to him who is truly rich, that we live our life with God through actions, in generosity, 
and looking outwards to those around us. We're not called to replicate or duplicate the manager's actions of being dishonest. But perhaps it's not actually a bad idea to make friends through the, the honest use of our wealth and resources. It's a lesser to greater parable. The manager acts urgently when his faithlessness and mismanagement comes to light, when he's called to account, and he acts quickly. Maybe Jesus is telling this parable to say the Lord sees us. And as his spirit uh, touches those who hear, the Pharisees, the religious, the disciples, what comes to light? How are we using that which God has given to us for the sake of the kingdom or ourselves? Have we been squandering, misusing the resources God has given? Have we been robbing God, perhaps? Maybe there's an echo here of Malachi 3, uh, chapter, eight to 12, uh, chapter 3, verses 8 to 12, where God's people were, were called out for cheating on their commitment to God, withholding the tithes that they were owed, that they owed to God. God calls us in the likeness of his son with generosity. I think this story points us, nudges us towards a really honest reflection of the way we use our effort and resources as followers. I want to close with a, with a story of someone who did just this. You have maybe have come across this story before. But reflect about what are we using our resources for? For ourselves or for the honor and glory of God's kingdom? I'm sure you've heard of Alfred Nobel. There's a whole system of prizes associated with him now, the Nobel Prizes, and particularly the Nobel Peace Prize. In 1888, Alfred Nobel um, woke up and he picked up a French newspaper and as he turned through the paper, was shocked to see his own obituary. Uh, the reporter um, of the French uh, newspaper that had written the article had kind of got the wrong name. His brother had actually died, not Alfred. But he'd attributed it and got it mixed up and said Alfred Nobel had died. And in the article, in the obituary, Nobel saw how others saw him. And they described him as the dynamite king, the one who invented explosives. That Nobel was an industrialist who had made his fortune manufacturing and selling explosives. And that's what people remembered him for. For the power of the explosion, for the wealth that he'd accumulated. But none of Nobel's passion for a peaceful world was mentioned. Though that was very much part of who he was. So as that moment, as that moment, as that penny dropped for him of how am I living my life and what do others perceive? That day, Alfred Nobel resolved to change and rearrange his affairs and indeed plan for the future of his great wealth. He gave instructions to establish a prize in his name to be given to a person or persons who had done the most in the cause for world peace. The unrighteous mammon, money, in the form of, of dynamite, of this thing he'd created which brought destruction as well as opportunity for mining and so forth. 
was translated into a cause for kingdom peace. He recognized that it was better to use his wealth and influence for the benefit of the needy, for the benefit of a kingdom cause. I think what this parable is driving at is in the end, when we're called to account, when we reflect upon our life, when we think of what God has given us in our stewardship, will we hear the master's voice commending us despite our mistakes and failures? It seems that the point of the parable and the secret of being a good steward is this. Translate time and talent and treasure into deeds which have earthly touch, earthly influence, practical nuts and bolts, helps, generosity, involvement. Whether that's through uh, what you're exposed to in charity, in, in just acts of loving kindness and goodness, or whether that's in, it, through uh, giving to others who can channel those gifts. But allow that which has an earthly touch, an earthly involvement, to translate into kingdom significance. Let's pray.